Hello, Mississippi. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with my colleague, Dr. Alan Harris, and you're listening to a live broadcast of Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Each week, we're here to talk to you about medical issues and topics that are important to you. And this week, it's all about your glands. My goodness, we got them everywhere. We got thyroid, salivary, reproductive, oil-producing, intestinal, all kinds of glands. And we want you guys to be taking part in the show. So get your questions ready and give us a call or shoot us an email. That number is one eight seven seven mpb ring or one 672 7464 Again, that's one eight seven seven mpb ring and our email address is southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. MPB. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. It's our pleasure to be with you today. And our co-host, Dr. Alan Harris, is back. It's great to have you with us again. I know that you were here last week, but this is the first time we've gotten together uh, as a team for a good while because you've been really busy on your critical care rotations. Yeah, good morning. I'm glad to be here. Um, It's fun to be back with you. But yeah, um, I'm on a little lighter rotation this month, so I'll be here during May. So Dr. Harris uh, is in training for a faculty position at UMC. Uh, and she has all these uh, clinical responsibilities that she has to do early in the morning, and when she is not having to do those, she's here with me, uh, and recently she's been really busy, so it's glad, good to have you back, and um, it's fun to be here with you. Today our program is about glands, and uh, we already have a call up, up on the board about what is glands, so at least let's get started on that piece uh, we're talking, there are a lot of glands there are, and they're all pretty important because they work as control uh, mechanisms for all the, our body systems, the way that they work. Yeah. Glands are really broad kind of term. So <clears throat> a gland is basically a, a group, a, a, something in your body that secretes something. So when you think about like the salivary glands in the mouth, they secrete saliva. So that's not so much what we're talking about today. We're talking more about the endocrine glands, um, which are the the things in your body, the organs in your body that secrete hormones that control lots of different functions in your body. And so um, diabetes is actually an endocrine problem um, where you're not secreting insulin like you should. Um, Thyroid problems, pituitary, adrenal, reproductive um, organs secrete hormones. Right. So my favorite gland is the pituitary gland because it sits in the middle of your head, right up there in the middle, on the very center of your brain in a little protected cavity and it basically tells all the other glands what to do and how to do it and so there's communication between there and most other glands and recently we've found that even the gastrointestinal tract has a lot of hormones coming from it which is playing a major role in our obesity issues so if you're interested in learning more or talking about any glandular issue we would love to have you give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877- Six seven two seven four six four, or send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. And 
this is any kind of uh, it's almost any question you want to ask because we can tie it into a gland some way. But in particular, we we're trying to make sure people are up to date on uh, diabetes, the mechanism for it, thyroid disease, reproductive issues, and so forth. So uh, uh, any of those topics are great. Give us a call and we'll try to fill in the blanks if you have any on those topics. So let's go to George in Grand Bay. Hey, George. Hey, Dr. Rick, Dr. Allen. Um, my question, I could, I think Sharita uh, uh, already covered it. My question was, what is a gland? Why are they there? And how many do we have? But you already answered that. Well, I had, we did not answer all of them. So those, those are really good questions. You know, when this topic came up, I told Dr. Allen, I said, this is going to be a hard one to get people interested in. But we did one show like this about a year ago, and there really was a lot of interest. So let's thank you for that call, George, and let that'll give us a, at least a little second to fill in a little bit more. So say, uh, Alan, say something about the thyroid gland and how that works. Well, the thyroid gland is um, in your neck. Um, you can actually feel it. It sits right over like where your voice box, right around that area. Um, and you're, it's responsible for a lot of um, your metabolism functions and this is something that symptoms can be kind of nonspecific. So sometimes people have thyroid dysfunction when they just don't, you know, they just don't feel good. So people that come to the doctor that have just kind of vague complaints that you're having a hard time pinpointing, that's something we often check. And it's just a blood test to check um, if your thyroid's functioning. If it, so it can either be functioning too much or it can be functioning not enough. Um, and it looks like we have a call on it. So why don't we take that call and see, see if we can. Okay, well, let's lead off with the thyroid gland. Hey, Maria. Maria, are you there? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Oh, we yeah. can hear you. Great. Thanks okay. for calling okay, us. Okay, great. Um, my question is, I've always had a problem with my weight, and um, I was able to keep my weight down. When I was a teenager, I, I weighed like 240 pounds, and I lost 100 pounds, and I was able to keep it off pretty well until I went through menopause. And... Um, I gained weight then, and I quit smoking, so that added more weight on. And so I went to the doctor, and he checked my thyroid, and um, it was too high. So he's had me on the synthetic thyroid now for about two years. And even as hard as I'm trying, it is so hard for me to lose the weight again. Is it because the, the synthetic thyroid doesn't work as well? as regular thyroid, or is it because um, I noticed a lot of women, after they go through menopause, they gain weight? Okay, a really good question, and we appreciate that uh, all the way from Ocean Springs. So what do, you, what do you say? Okay, so first of all, there were several things in there, so let's back up so everybody knows what we're talking about. So um, symptoms of, so, so Maria's thyroid gland was not functioning well enough. So what that means is <clears throat> that you... Just think about your metabolism kind of slowed down um, is a general way to think about it. So people can gain weight, lack of energy, um, feeling cold a lot of the times when other people aren't cold, dry hair, dry skin, um, 
are, are some of the symptoms. You can also have constipation. So the blood test that she that her doctor checked that was too high is the TSH, which stands for thyroid stimulating hormone, and that's something coming from the pituitary that you talked about, which is the kind of the command center, the brain commun- the the brain CP uh, central. Processing right, and one thing I love about endocrine is everything usually makes sense because there's feedback um, loops for everything, a control mechanism, and so, um, so if your 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 pituitary sends a signal called TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, to stimulate thyroid to make. Um, thyroid hormone and if if the thyroid isn't making enough then it will continue it will send more of that and so we check the tsh actually and so if that level's too high then it tells us your thyroid gland isn't making enough because your pituitary's putting extra hormone out there to, to try to stimulate it so what we do it's easy you just take a pill which is thyroid hormone um, and it works well um, and it's easy to monitor if you're on the right dose so after it takes you know about six weeks to see your pituitary adjust to that and so in about six weeks um, you go back to the doctor and get another blood test checked and and then your dose is adjusted um, so it can be hard to lose weight after menopause. Um, if your thyroid test, if you've been back to the doctor and they've checked that level and it's normal, then that's not the issue. Um, you know, it is important to get that fixed. But once that's fixed, then there's other things. Right. In fact, uh, anytime you gain weight, the the hormones, <clears throat> there's certain hormones in your gut that control hunger. Uh, and those hormones things like ghrelin and so forth, uh, get sort of out of whack and reset. So you're constantly, your body is telling your brain that you're hungry because you're trying to get back to your original overweight status. And that's why it is so very difficult to lose weight once you've gained it because the hormones reset your weight. And after you've been on a diet for as long as six months, these hormones are out of whack. Uh, and uh, and you're hungry all the time trying to get back to that weight. We'll talk about we'll talk about the hormones from weight. We'll talk about diabetes, and we'll talk about a little bit more about how to deal with weight issues. If you want to give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring or one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, right after this upcoming break. Uh, so give us a call or send us an email at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four 672 or Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break.
Welcome back to the rock and roll effort of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with my colleague, Dr. Alan Harris, and we are talking about all things glandular. We've already talked a little bit about thyroid, but we need you to call us, and we've got open lines at one 672 7464 or 1-877-MPB-RING about any kind of hormonal issue. We were talking a little bit about weight issues uh, and how the endocrine system is involved in that. And you sort of get from being overweight to diabetes fairly quickly. That sort of is a natural transition, right? Um, yeah, it can be. So <laughs> we know that 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 diabetes is that obesity is um, a big risk factor for developing a type two diabetes, and um, oftentimes people can reverse their diabetes if they have you know just the beginning stages if they if they're if they're obese and they lose weight they can often reverse that um so basically type 2 diabetes means you still make insulin you just don't make enough um and you know if you're if you're constantly giving your body all this glucose to have to make a response then this isn't really the scientific way to say it but your your pancreas just kind of says i can't do enough you know it just kind of gives up and so um, if you can, if you can change your diet and lose weight, then that often corrects. So that's why you can actually, we see people who are on diabetes medicine that actually get to a normal body weight and whammo, yeah. their diabetes goes away. Right. So if you're interested about that or other questions, give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Vicksburg. Hey, Shirley. Hi, how are you? We're hanging in there. Y'all had a big election yesterday and wow i don't know whatever happened did you get a mayor or not uh yes yes we did well congratulations um, congratulations so at yes, least you don't have to go through a runoff and uh and uh, that's one more accomplishment down in vicksburg what's your question well my husband uh who just turned 50 um let me tell you a little, little bit about him he's very tall and uh he's Six two, six one, and he's very thin. He can eat anything he wants to, and doesn't gain weight, uh, <laughs> which drives me crazy. Absolutely, me too. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, he he drinks beer, and um, you know he uh, he has. Uh, some trouble sleeping, which I think has to do with some shift work okay. that he had a long time ago. But the problem that I wanted to find out about is he has uh, copious night sweats, and sometimes he has them in the daytime, but usually it's at night. And uh, I wanted to find out what are some conditions that could cause that i am so glad you ask because we have some responses um basically uh one of the things we talk about on this program are alarm signs symptoms that require evaluation and night sweats uh, especially in a man require evaluation and there are many many things that can cause this the most common thing that we see that causes night sweats in a man is obstructive sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> this occurs usually in obese patients, but it can occur in some regularly or even thin people because at night, you're, as you get older, everything goes south and your palate, the, the top of your mouth, collapses against your airway, blocks it up, and you struggle to breathe, and you release some hormones like uh, epinephrine, which is a hormone that makes you uh, sweat, your glucose go up, and so forth. So obstructive sleep apnea is one thing that comes to mind immediately. But there are a number of other issues that also could be uh, should be considered. Yeah, um, there goes from minor things or getting a full workup and not really finding a cause to some really bad things like night sweats, not not to frighten you, but night sweats can be um, one of the first signs of certain kind of blood cancers. And so this is something that you need to see a doctor. You can just see a primary care doctor um, and start with a physical exam and blood work, just routine blood work where um, just blood counts and your um Thyroid levels and some other tests will be done on blood work and then and then go from there, but need to see a doctor. The most popular thing people are talking about now is so-called low T, uh, the male menopause. And there is still a lot of information to be gained as to whether that is a real entity. Uh, but uh, hypogonadism, which is your testes don't work well if you're a male, can also be associated with these sorts of symptoms. And so uh, what I would recommend is exactly what you just heard. He needs to straight away go to uh, his physician and tell him he's having night sweats and make sure he doesn't have some kind of infection or sleep apnea or some or hypo, hyperthyroidism or other issues that are causing this. And this is just the kind of uh, issue we wanted to discuss today. So thank you for that call. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with Dr. Alan Harris. And today is gland days. We're talking about all sorts of gland problems. And we're here for you. We have open lines at 1-877-672-7464 or 1-877-MPB-RING. Dr. Harris, we have an email. And the email is... uh, Oh, okay. A caller who couldn't stay on the line who wanted to ask about there's several different kinds of thyroid glands. There's a parathyroid gland and a thyroid gland, and they seem to sit on top of each other. And what's going on with that? Okay. So they're actually separate glands. Your thyroid gland is the is the big one in your neck, like we talked about. Parathyroid glands are, are completely separate glands that sit near the thyroid. And para just means they're next to, you know, around, para around the thyroid. Um, there's usually four of them that they all do the same thing. And their job is to um, help regulate calcium levels in your body. Um, sometimes one can start functioning on its own which is um, hyperparathyroidism, and your calcium levels can be high. Um, you can have kidney stones. Those are usually the first. Sometimes it's just picked up incidentally on routine blood work. Your calcium level will be really high. Sometimes people present with kidney stones. Um, and and sometimes those things require a surgery where the <clears throat> it's usually an ENT doctor, head and neck surgeon, um, and, they, and they go in and, and take them out basically. We're going to talk a little bit more about the parathyroids and the thyroids, and here's your chance to get in on that discussion or other issues having to do with glands 
at 1-877-672-7464 or 1-877-MPB-RING or send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We have lines open. So the parathyroid glands sit on top of this sort of butterfly-looking thyroid gland in your neck. Mm-hmm. And you said the main, the sort of the, the isthmus or the island between the two wings goes somewhere around your Adam's apple. Right. And then there are two little side partitions. So it's a really pretty big gland, right? It's like a butterfly yeah. landed yeah. on your neck. Yeah. <laughs> and then these parathyroid glands are on top. Right. They control calcium. What do the what does the thyroid glands secrete? A par- parathyroid glands secretes calcitonin and parathyroid, parathyroid hormone. hormone and right. So, forth. so they're they're involved in phosphorus, calcium, um, and, and and so what does the thyroid gland secrete? Thyroid hormone. And there's T3 and T4. Yeah, well, couple, it's very couple different types. To folks, because when you go to the doctor, you get a bill. Back T S H T three T four free all, all these kinds of confusing things. So what does that mean? Well, they're just different. It's just different. T three and T four are just um, different versions, basically, of the same thing. Um, T four is the main um, hormone that's active in your blood. T three is also it's it's a lot more potent than T four. It does the same thing. Um, it's not as um, prevalent in your bloodstream so there would be some rare things where you would have like a t3 secreting tumor or something those are really rare so most of the time it's just plain old you know hyperthyroidism uh graves disease is the most common um form of that yeah so hyperthyroidism is when your thyroid starts getting out of control under the is lost control by the pituitary gland right and starts making its own thyroid and saying pituitary I'm going to ignore you, and you end up with hyperthyroidism. So that's the most common cause, and usually that's caused by a diffuse growth of the entire thyroid gland. Yeah, so it can be um, – there's two main things that are – well, I guess three things that are the cause of that. So Graves' disease is the most common, which is when there's um, – a, another molecule that mimics TSH, and so you have receptors on your thyroid gland that um, that grab the TSH from your pituitary, and then there's something else that they grab that they think that's TSH, and so they turn on. So it's your whole gland turning on. That's usually not painful, though. You don't have a painful thyroid. Um, there's something called thyroiditis, which is can be a viral infection um, of your thyroid, where that's oftentimes painful. So your thyroid will be tender to touch, so the front mm. part of your neck is tender. And basically, it's just inflamed, and so it's spilling out all of its thyroid hormone. And then sometimes you can have a nodule in there that is um, just that part of the thyroid is is hyper functioning, and um, sometimes you can your doctor can feel a nodule there, and you and you look at that with ultrasound and some other things. So that's a little bit about all there is to know about the thyroid gland. We'll talk about that and your gland of interest. If you give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring or one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Here's another uh, caller who didn't want to stay on the phone. And this says, do, do you have a, uh, does every organ have an endocrine gland that regulates it? Um, no, I don't know. Maybe, Pro- the probably, 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 but we don't know about we all of them. We haven't found all of them. Yeah. For instance, the intestinal hormones that we were talking about just recently that control, that play a major role in satiety, that the feeling of feeling full and not hungry, that is generally controlled out of the, the brain 
uh, those are released from fat and also from your gastrointestinal uh, areas, special gastrointestinal little islands of tissue. And so we didn't even know about those until recently. And now there's a huge industry trying to figure out how to interrupt the signals from fat and from gastrointestinal hormones to your brain so you don't eat so much and uh, because folks have overeaten. When you chronically overeat like all Americans do, it goofs up the whole regulatory mechanism for knowing when you're hungry and when you're not and how much weight you have on. So probably, yeah, if you can think of a gland you want to ask us about how it's regulated, Give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or one eight seven seven MPB ring and let's go to Hazelhurst. Hey Amy. Larry. Larry, sorry, we left out one of the uh, one of the parts of your name. Good to hear from you. How are things in Hazelhurst? Oh, going great. Beautiful day. Good, good. What's on your mind? Uh I had gradually lost my sense of smell, and I didn't realize it till for Christmas I got a gift of some cologne and couldn't smell it. And it, I'd heard about that time that that might be a sign of future onset of Parkinson's, and I have a friend in late stages of Parkinson's. Of course, that upset me. My grandma had it. One of my aunts had it. And yet, when uh, not too long ago, uh, my daughter was t- showing me some reading about aspartame and diet stuff, and I had been a diet coke addict pretty well, and I quit. Within 48 to 72 hours, I had my sense of smell back. I smell my coffee now. Bobby Dog, do you have a, a lot of uh, nasal problems? It sounds like you're stuffed up a little bit this morning. Oh, I have allergies, you know, from around February or March, uh, you know, through, through the summer. Right. Have you ever been told you have nasal polyps? No, I, I'm going to um, uh, an allergy specialist, and um, what I do have, uh, a deviated septum from when I was 12 years old. I, I missed a baseball and hit me in the nose, and ever since I've had a deviated septum. I went to a doctor, and he... Yeah, you can get you can get disability for that as an athletic injury if you happen to be in a union, so don't forget that. Uh, <laughs> seriously. Let me let me tell you what I think's going on. I don't think this has anything to do whatsoever with aspartame or any other tain. Uh, people who have chronic rhinosinusitis like you have, it's pretty easy to pick up for an allergist like me to listen to you over the phone, uh, tend to have problems with the way their olfactory nerve works. The olfactory nerve uh, has receptors in the back of your nose, way back in there, And when you have chronic sinusitis, especially if you have nasal polyps, which are overgrowth of the lining of your nose, it puts pressure on those receptors and they don't work. And they go on and off, off and on. And I suspect that you have significant sinus disease that is causing this problem. Now, unfortunately, that is an alarm sign. So when you go back to your allergist, make sure that he or she knows that you, you're having intermittent loss of smell. I don't think it's related to Parkinson's in your case. Uh, it's an unusual complication of Parkinson's, so don't worry about that. But do get it checked out because you might have a lot of obstruction up there that could be a problem. So you're probably going to need a sinus CT to sort that out. So that would be my suggestion, and uh, never listen to your at-home uh, 
doctors in your family or other people <laughs> on the internet that'll get you in trouble. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick. Dr. Allen's here. We'll be right back. We want to take your question if you'll give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazer here with Dr. Alan Bond. It is our great pleasure and honor to be with you, representing lots of doctors in Mississippi who care about your health. And today we're talking a little bit about glands. Now, what happens on this program reproducibly is everybody calls in the last 10 minutes, and we can't get to all the calls. And that's what's about to happen here today. So please get your call in now. If you have a question, we have two open lines and we want to make sure we get to answer your question uh, today where we don't have to send you an email. I'm getting my hand, my typing hand is getting old about these emails. So here's a, here's an email. Discuss the role of iodine if you've had Graves' disease. Okay. So iodine <clears throat> is important for your thyroid to function. Your thyroid hormone is actually made up of iodine. In America, this isn't a problem because it used to be before we put iodine used to in be. salt. Right now, and now not, we're using too doggone much salt. Right, there's no lack of salt in an American diet, and so this can be problems in other countries. But in America, we don't have to worry about iodine deficiency. When you've had Graves' disease, the way it's usually treated is you get your so your thyroid hormone sucks up iodine, um, your thyroid gland sucks up iodine, and so one way. Um, with Graves' disease, you basically have to just take out the gland, and then you're going to be on thyroid hormone. And so you take iodine and radio label it. Your thyroid, give it to you. Your thyroid. You nuke your thyroid Yeah, gland. your thyroid sucks it up, and it destroys it. Yes. Radio um, iodine, radio iodine yeah. you take that, right, and it goes to your thyroid gland, and boom, that's the end of it. Right. Yeah. So once you've had that done, then then you don't have to, your thyroid gland is destroyed. And so iodine. Is, so you have to take thyroid supplements. You take that. thyroid hormone. Yeah, it's a pill. You take a thyroid hormone, but but I in, ingesting iodine doesn't matter so for you anymore. So you don't have anymore. to avoid salt because of the no, iodine. No, But you ought to avoid salt because none of us need to be adding salt yeah. to anything. And you don't have to make sure you get enough iodine because it doesn't matter anymore. You're taking a pill for your thyroid hormone. Right. Very good answer. Let's go to Margie in Gulfport. Hey, Margie. Margie, you there? Hey, Margie. Can you hear me, doctor? Oh, man, I can hear you. It sounds like you're sitting right here in the same room. Okay. Look, I had a total hysterectomy six years ago, and I never took any hormones because I was scared of the cancer. Well, about six months ago, my doctor took blood tests and said I had virtually no female hormones. So she sent me to a doctor, and he put that hormone, he inserted that hormone tab in you. And I'm loving it. 
So I'm just wondering, is any negative about this? Because it's just too good to be true. Inserted it where? And near your skin? Or- yeah, uh-huh, under my skin. And he and the doctor said that the uh, my body would take the hormones that right, I need. Right, right. And it's working very good. And yeah. that's making me nervous. Yeah, that's what, that's that's <laughs> a, that's about how, how Americans feel about most things. If it feels good or tastes good, there's something wrong with it. Yeah, so I understand exactly where you're coming from, and there is are always pluses and minuses about any medicine. Okay. And so, that's a medicine, right? Yeah, it's a medicine. So <clears throat> I feel like I say this all the time, but um, menopause, so when you go through menopause, um, you don't make the female hormones like you should. Estrogen is the one that makes you make the loss of estrogen is the one that makes you have all the symptoms of menopause basically if you have your ovaries taken out surgically then you're functionally in menopause um, because your ovaries are what produce that and that's what happened here right so <clears throat> so you go through menopause after you have an oophorectomy if you have your a hysterectomy and both of your ovaries removed whammo you're in right. the menopause so a hysterectomy just means your uterus is taken out so right. if you've had a hysterectomy you may still have your ovaries um your doctor should have told you that you should know right. so <clears throat> and he should have actually asked you if you wanted them out right yeah um so taking estrogen therapy replacement therapy is not recommended um just universally now so it's recommended now if you're having symptoms of menopause for as short a time as possible to um control those to where your quality of life isn't terrible three years is sort of the max five years oh we're up to five now well that's what the that's what the national women's health uh study showed so there was a big study back in the 90s that looked at estrogen therapy for some other reason but what they did find in the study is that if you were on estrogen replacement therapy for five years or more your incidence your risk of breast cancer went way up and so that's why um, you shouldn't be on estrogen therapy for more than five years. If you've ever had breast cancer, you shouldn't take it at all. Right. Um, or you have a family history of breast cancer, it should be carefully considered. Carefully considered. But if you've had breast cancer, it's a huge no-no because it can make your breast cancer All right. So um, she's worried reoccur. about this depo estrogen. Yeah. I mean, and she may have gotten some progesterone thrown in there, too. We're not sure what's. Right. You shouldn't. So you only need progesterone if you still have a uterus because you don't if you just take unopposed estrogen, then your risk for endometrial cancer goes up. So what I would say is if you were doing fine for all those years without it, then you didn't need it. If you feel great on it, you know, I'm I'm sure you do. But five years, five yeah. years and, and talk to your doctor about it. Yeah. And you need to have some things while you're on it. You need to be getting your mammograms. Mm-hmm. You need to check your lipids. It probably may help those. But uh, you need to have your bone densitometric. may actually help that. Right. The routine screening stuff you still have to do. And now that you feel so good, you have no excuse not to go get it. Let's go to Summit, Mississippi. Hey, D.C. Hello? D.C., are you airborne or what? <laughs> Hello? Hello. Hey. Hi there. What's on your mind? Well, uh, my question is about the uh, use of statins and uh, the incidence of muscle problems. Um, I've been taking statins for about 13 or 14 years now, and it seems to me that, you know, I'm in my mid-50s, that that as a fairly active person, I feel like I'm more susceptible to muscle tears and uh, just joint issues, and I just wondered how much of that could be related to statins, although I haven't seen really any uh, serious connection between the two, but... A good question. A good question. Be careful out on the road, and let me try to answer it for you. Uh, statins uh, continue to be shown to be beneficial in just about everything you could think of. 
they have what are called pleiotrophic functions. That is beyond lowering your cholesterol, your bad cholesterol, and slightly raising your good cholesterol. Not so good about that. That's exercise is what's good for raising your good cholesterol. Um, They are very effective. Now, a certain subpopulation of people, for reasons that are not totally clear, get muscle pain and discomfort when they take statins. Many of them uh, can uh, deal with this problem by switching from one statin to another. There are a number of them. Or taking coenzyme Q, which is available over the counter. And those that don't uh, are a real issue. Uh, we, we have a lot of problem managing them because nothing works as good as the statins uh, in controlling bad cholesterol, LDL. So we try not to take people off of these unless the problem is, is a significant one and their muscle enzymes, which we can measure in the blood, are elevated. In your case, as best I know, and I'll check with my consultant here, Dr. <laughs> Harris, I don't know of any association between muscle tears or athletic-related injuries. In fact, they biopsy people that have been on these for a long time. There are some muscle changes at the microscopic level, but nothing really awful. Right. I agree with that. Okay. So let's go now to another. I mean, it's po- this is thyroid popularity day. Hey, Ann. Good morning. Good to hear from you. What's your question? Uh, my question is, uh, is there an alternative to the peel liver thyroxine? Okay. Um, I, it, it makes me nauseous during the 30 minutes before eating, you know. Right. And it's, it is causing some swelling. I know that because I took myself off of it and all the swelling's gone down. My TSH was 6.25 and my T4 was a 0.8. Okay. okay, so it was 6.2. Oh, we lost her. Okay, so I'm going to assume it was 6.25 before she got on thyroid hormone, which I would say you don't need it. Um, so there's something that's not normal. Um, and if you're on thyroid hormone, then we want your level to be lower than that to get you back to normal. But there's something called subclinical hypothyroidism. So um, if your thyroid level, if you're not having, you know, overt symptoms of hyper, hypothyroidism um, and your level TSH level is less than 10, then we don't really want to treat you because especially in elderly people, there can be some risks, um, especially atrial fibrillation. Um, and so if you're certainly having some, you're not feeling good, you may be actually overactive thyroid wise for your, for your body. And so if your TSH level was six, then I would, if, if, if I was seeing you, I wouldn't put you on thyroid hormone. Now we must admit, Ann, that that is a very controversial recommendation, but it's sort of the standard of care now in academic health centers because of some data that's come out. But most doctors would put you on thyroid replacement if your TSH was six. But most of the younger doctors who've seen this data are much more cautious because putting people's TSH too low causes bone issues. So we're very, very careful about driving the uh, TSH down to a very low level. And frequently, when you put somebody with borderline TSH levels on thyroid, you will do that. Yeah. And the nausea could be a symptom of you having too much thyroid hormone. So you need to talk uh, about this with your doctor. Uh, You're going to get 50 different answers. Yeah. Or you may just want to cut the dose. Uh, But uh, clearly, you're on too much, probably. Yeah. 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 So I hope that's helpful, Ann.
We'll be right back to take your calls at one 672 7464 It's getting late. You better get them in here because we want to talk to you today about your glands. Be right back after this break. Welcome back. We're rocking and rolling toward the end of this program of Southern Remedy. We're your doc in the box. I'm Dr. Rick. I'm here with Dr. Allen, and we love to visit with you on Wednesdays and Sundays, and that's what we're doing today. We're talking about glands, and as usual, the phones are lighting up toward the end of the program. We got a great email uh, here about what the heck is a pituitary gland tumor. So it's it's a tumor in your pituitary gland. It can be... Um, so where is that again? It sits right at the base of your brain. It's not part of your brain. It sits right under it, um, kind of in the middle of your head where it's protected. It has its own little socket in there. Yeah. It's a little bone. Cella tersica. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> symptoms of a pituitary tumor, initial symptoms are oftentimes vision problems because your optic nerves... Um, run right under it and so if you if it gets big it can put pressure on that optic nerve and you can have some vision problems um, pituitary tumors can be functioning or not functioning um, so <clears throat> what the symptoms are variable because your your anterior pituitary gland the front part of your pituitary gland makes like six or seven different hormones that control different glands and so depending on which type of cell has formed the tumor then that system is going to be um Hyperfunctioning, and so um, it's a. If you're having just endocrine problems in general, then this is part of the blood work that we do. Um, and we can or, measure or all this stuff. Yeah, you can measure it. It's just a blood test, and so then it directs the workup. Right. You may end up needing an MRI, but that's not the first step. I used to have so much trouble as a student understanding all this, and even more teaching it as a faculty member. But now that we're all working with computers and we understand a little bit about central processing units and, you know, how your computer works, basically this pituitary gland is your computer up there. And it's running the whole doggone show so far as your endocrine system is going on, putting out all these sensors. It has sensors for what's up and what's down, too little thyroid, too little whatever, and it just turns things on and off. But there are some glands that are a little bit more independent like the islet cells of your pancreas. Right. Those aren't under control of the pituitary gland, which are the, um, the insulin producing. producing. So the insulin mm-hmm. thing's a little bit different, and it seems to 
have its own set of regulatory stuff going on with gut hormones and all kinds of other things which make it weirder uh, and more difficult to deal with, actually. Let's go right now to James. Hey, James. Yes, sir. How you doing? Oh, we're great because you called. What's on your well, mind? I love you guys, man. You are. I, I wish you were on twenty four hours a day. It'd be like going to the library. Well, you're very, very kind, and it's our honor to be here. And thanks for making us feel good. What's on your mind well, today? Terrific. Uh, the the conversation you had just before about statin drugs. I have type two diabetes and uh, cholesterol out the roof. So my doctor uh, put me on uh, Savastatin or something like Simvastatin. that. Now, yeah, and I heard that. I mean, I go to a free clinic. My my, I did go to a free clinic. My um, uh, Medicare hadn't kicked in yet; it has now. But the doctor told me that in six months I'd have to get checked for liver function. Yeah, right. So my deal is this. If I'm taking this statin thing to lower cholesterol, and before the six months is up, my liver goes whacked, I'm just out of luck, right? No, it's not that It's not that severe. So it's not going to cause, I don't want to say it never has because I don't know, but it's not going to cause fulminant liver failure. It's just something that needs to be monitored. Um, If your liver enzymes, which is just a blood test, you wouldn't really have symptoms of minor elevations in those. Um, And then you'd need to be either the dose reduced or... Or switch to another statin. But you do do need to have you it need checked. to have it checked. It doesn't cause kidney issues. No, That's, no kidney issues. That. So so you just have your your liver thing monitored. The other thing, if it's your triglycerides um, <clears throat> that are up, then your diabetes getting that under control is going to be paramount and getting your triglycerides. Right. So there's under three control. things to worry about: your good cholesterol, your bad cholesterol, and your triglycerides. Hey, John, how are things in Gulfport? Yes. Yes, they're uh, they're good. Uh, are there any? The any the endocrine uh, system have anything to do with the thinning of the skin? I'm 70 years old, good health otherwise, but I have thin skin. Okay. What, what My mother always said I had that from the time <laughs> I was born. She said, "Rick E, you got thin skin, boy," and uh, so that was a different kind of thin skin, though. <laughs> <laughs> not taking uh, uh, not taking direction well. As we get older, especially if we've gotten a lot of sun exposure, which most of us get in the Gulf South, our skin thins out. And it gets to the point where every time we bump something, it bleeds. And uh, the thing that you that is not usually related to any kind of uh, endocrine issue is just related to genetics and aging. And that's why it's so important for seniors to keep their skin well moisturized. That will help it be healthy. And that's that Aquaphor I keep pushing. I have no stock in it. It's over-the-counter. It's generic. Aquaphor, high-class Vaseline, petroleum jelly. Put that on your skin once or twice a day, and it will help a whole lot in that problem that you're having. But I would not worry about this. And I bet you your mom and your aunts all have the same problem because it tends to run in families. Let's go to Melinda in Columbus. Hey, Melinda. Good morning. What's your I question? I question for you. Okay. I heard you guys talking about uh, hormone therapy for estrogen replacement just a little while ago. Uh-huh. I have been on two milligrams of estradiol since 1996 when I had a hysterectomy when I was 36. They pulled the plug on everything, and I was a night sweat queen as far as hot flashes and all that stuff. So they put me on the estradiol. And I just heard you say that you're not supposed to take it for more than five years. History of breast cancer. My mom's had it six years ago. And my question is, it sounds like I should not be on this. What kind of uh, 
replacement can I use for the night sweats and the hot flashes during the day? Okay, well, <clears throat> I would try to wean off of it, um, and a lot of times they'll go away. It's not something that you're going to live with forever. It's just kind of um, an adjustment period. And I put her on Effexor while she was yeah, that's a, that, Yeah, that's a great suggestion. That's what we use for all of our cancer patients yeah. that, uh, that get, uh, we're not saying you're a cancer patient, but for people who have their ovaries removed for yeah. whatever reason or get a medical oophorectomy from their uh, chemotherapy that go into uh, menopause, and my wife loves that stuff. Effexor is uh, venlafaxine. It's an SNRI. It's one of the antidepressants, anti-anxiety medicines. But it's when you get put on it for this reason, it doesn't mean you have depression or anxiety. It's just useful in this also. So I would try to wean off your estrogen and um, and start start one of those medicines. Yeah, and you have to you have to have a prescription for that. We're rushing through trying to get everybody's questions answered. Here's one last one uh, uh, that uh, we need to get Dr. Allen to help us with. Is there a gland that controls iron levels in your blood? No. Iron levels, um, you need to just take iron. You have to you have to take that in in your diet, and it's necessary for your bone marrow to make red blood cells. Alarm si- signs. Any man requiring iron, right? Uh, especially if you're over 40 or 50, that means you probably have anemia and it needs to be evaluated. So you don't right. give men iron uh, uh, unless you try to find out why they're needing iron, yeah. why they're anemic. Yeah, it's, you can give it to them. You just need to find out why. Yeah. So That's it's usually not the colon fix. polyps or yeah, something like women, that. Women are often iron deficient that are, that are menstruating. We have had so much fun with you today. It's been great. And we're looking forward to visiting with you next week. We want to thank you for listening to Southern Remedy. And, of course, Southern Remedy is a production of MPB Think Radio and is funded by the general general financial support. I think that's generous financial support of our listeners like you and an unrestricted grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center, our home. The executive producer of Southern Remedy is Jenny Wilburn, who has the highest high heel shoes I've ever seen. Sue me if that is sex discrimination. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, Dr. Alan Bond, all Harris. of us here, Alan Harris. You almost made it through the show without messing up my uh, name. Yeah, I know. All right. <laughs> will we be back next week, Dr. Harris? Yes, we will. So have a great week. Thanks for listening.